Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Data-Driven Security Podcast. Jay Jacobs, thank you for joining us for episode 14 of Data Driven Security Podcast. And joining me is my co-host, Bob Brutus. Bob, what has your panties in a bundle this week? Well, first of all, Jay, so and, and to the, the guests, they know no one can see our guests, but we have guests. Uh, happy New Year. This is our first podcast of 2015. Yep. Happy New Year to you, Bob. And the second thing is, is I have a wicked statistic to start off the new year with and to start off our podcast with for the new year. Okay. What is a wicked statistic? No, well, actually, it's not even that. It's also it's also a great plug for the podcast because folks that actually want to speak at RSA, there's a 100% chance that if you are on our show and you submit to RSA, you get to RSA. <laughs> so all of the guests that we've had on that saying, have submitted, every guest that submitted. we have had on this past year. It has a speaking slot at RSA this year. So is that like one or two or something? That, that's like like seven. Really? Yeah. I mean, that's not too shabby. It is not too shabby, and we we, we even didn't you know like two of our guests weren't even security people, so like they they they're not even they're going to be submitting for RSA. So what, so what proportion of our guests are speaking at RSA? Well, I think I'm going to direct post people to the blog post that's coming out on Friday about that. Oh, okay. So this is a plug for the blog. A plug for the podcast and for coming on the podcast, and also Happy New Year. I want to I want to start with Mr. Mustache <laughs> and bring on Mike Sconzo. <laughs> Thanks, Jay and Bob. Yeah. And uh, I I am more importantly my mustache are entirely looking forward to being on the podcast again. So the the uh, no we're not doing video for this one. So let's let's describe the mustache because it really isn't going to be an important theme I think for the podcast. So it's not, it's not a. Um, boy, I just describe the mustache for viewers, please. I I don't even know what words I could possibly say that would do it justice in my mind. Yeah, I um, agree. The the best way I can describe it is some of the girls in my my CrossFit class. They said it looks intimidating, and I said no 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 no. I think what you mean is it looks manly. And and one <laughs> of the girls described it as Hulk Hogan esque. And I entirely agree with that. Yes, it is the Hulk Hogan. So let me try and describe it. It starts with like a, boy, what would that be? Like a small brush, right, <laughs> under your nose, and it's like wrapped around your mouth, dripping off of your chin with your chin shaved, right? I mean, it's like like you, you took a uh, small towel and, and rolled it up and hung <laughs> it over your lip. So, so Jay, while I, while, while, while I do appreciate the fact that you have described it, the, the he, I, I normally put images up with each guest as they're on, and I usually oh, use flattering no. pictures of those folks. I, I, I will now use the one that he was just doing um, as the picture okay. that will pop up when, when he's there. And every time he speaks, I think I will make sure that that's up. As well. Okay. And, and you have a new haircut. Oh, Which yeah. does offset the um, towel on your face. Yeah, it, but it's upgraded. It what? It migrated, right? It went from anywhere yes. up top to, to just on the face. Yeah. So he is just absolutely clean shaven up above. 
and the, uh, the the thing on his mouth. Okay. Actually, Jay Ike, as I was saying before, and and I, I hate to say this to Jason because like you know it's gonna happen to him too. This is what happens when you're doing data science long enough. That <laughs> <laughs> is, if you do if you do security data science long enough and well, you're you ain't gonna have head hair. That's all I'm gonna say. Right. So let's let's bring on Jason. Jason Trust, another repeat visitor to the podcast. Great to have you on. Hey guys, uh, good to be back. And and just to say by comparison, you look like a Boy Scout. <laughs> so I've heard that before. Thank you, you look completely normal. So it's great to have you on. One of the things we want to talk about is two recent conferences, and how we're seeing. Uh, the, the field of security sort of being uh, infected with uh, science and statistics and data science and machine learning and graph theory and all that great stuff. Um, so the two conferences we want to talk about are Flowcon, which were in, uh, where was that, Jason, in Portland? It was in Portland, Oregon. Okay. And that was just a week ago. Uh, that's right. Okay. And then uh, just recently, just a few days after that, was ShmooCon on the East Coast, and Mike, you were at that one. Yes, that's correct. Right. So, guys, uh, why don't we start with Flowcon, and we'll talk about just overall, Jason. Now, the, uh, you're the only one on the on the call here that was actually able to attend that. How was your overall feeling? Like, how how was it different from previous years? Did you see an increase in more discussions about using data science, using statistics, machine learning, stuff like that at the conference? So I would say, um, comparing it to past years, and I've only attended one other past year, I think it was two years ago, um, the amount of data science was about the same. Two years ago, there was a lot of talks on um, pretty much building classifiers from the flow data, clustering the flow data. This year, I feel like part of the data science moved more towards automated graph analytics. So not necessarily visualizing flow data using graphs, but more like building uh, graphical models of what certain attacks look like or graphical models of what normal activity looks like and trying to look for deviations um, or matches with those models. Um, and there was a few talks and they were kind of, they kind of um, all differed on their complexity and their scale. Um, one of the talks I thought was really cool was from uh, PNNL, uh, Pacific Northwest National Lab. I believe their talk was on a system they call Streamworks which is a system for real-time graph pattern matching on network data. And they've built, I think this research has, has been going on for a few years now, and they've continuously been building on it. Uh, but what they presented at the conference was a system that they built on top of the Apache Storm project that allows them to analyze uh, mainly network flow data, but I think also other sorts of data, and build uh, these graph models where they can do, um, how do they, they, they called it uh, subgraph join trees where they basically, in real time, as the um, real time with constraints, like real time with, I think, um, some sort of sliding window, they're building these uh, graphs of all the flow data flowing through the cluster, the storm cluster. Uh, and they, I believe they were using some supercomputers for doing this. So it wasn't commodity hardware like most storm applications, but they were using some really beefy hardware to do this. So they're building these models, um, pushing the flow data through it, and, and trying to pick out in real time things that uh, matched the graphical models or things that deviated from graphical models. And um, unfortunately, I didn't take as, as many notes as I wanted to just because I was trying to look at all the, the pictures in the presentation. 
And I was really hoping these slides would come out before I could come on, so I don't have a ton of notes, but it was one of the cooler talks I've seen in a while. Um, just kind of their approach and the scale that they were doing this on. And I wish I had a number, but I don't have the number, the so, scale number. Um, thinking about this, so, so these subgraph join trees, like is that, when, when you talk about uh, representing an, uh, uh, flows within a graph, for example, you can create, like what we were talking about earlier, these, <clears throat> these spaghetti graphics, right? Correct. We set points and lines and just a lot of incredibly busy stuff. Um, did they focus? And, and the other side of graphing is the the algorithms behind it, talking about distances, nearest neighbor, shortest path, all these great things that you can do with graphs. Um, and you don't need to represent anything visually to run that these stops. Right? So this type of thing, did they focus? Um, did they include visualizations of the graphs, or was it more the algorithms churning away on it? It was more the algorithms. So when they had visualizations, it was mainly for how they would build the graphical model. So they took examples of known attack traffic. So they, they had examples for certain worm outbreaks. They had examples for um, botnets, for uh, distributed denial of service, for lateral movement, and for a number of different kind of network attack or exploitation um, events. And they built, most in most cases, fairly simplistic models. And they were trying to search in real time through the network, the NetFlow data as it flowed through the system for matches against these models. And the, um, the it's called multiple subgraph join trees. I believe that is an optimization. So they're kind of, it sounded to me a lot like regular, regular expression matching. Like as you start matching a pattern, you can start invalidating um, pieces of the pattern that you know cannot match based on data that's flowing through the, the regex. It sounded a lot like that, but for graphs and NetFlow data and, um, but yeah, it was it was NetFlow data enriched with uh, I think IPGO and some other uh, like attack or um, enrichment type data, okay. and, as well as I think DNS, but mainly NetFlow. But so that was probably my favorite talk. I thought that was really cool. Um, There's a few other talks centering around graph analytics, and one talk um, where they actually presented a new. They're they're trying to push through a new standard called the Open Cyber Ontology which uh, they have a website called opencog.net, and their goal is to be able to represent um, NetFlow data, DNS data, and a, a bunch of other data sets using RDF, but trying to get the security, the security community to agree on a format and a standard for how you take various types of NetFlow data, so IPFIX, Cisco's format, Silk, and all map them to the exact same RDF um, structure with the goal of um, being able to run what is it called, Sparkle queries and other graph analytics on top of that data. And uh, the guys who gave that talk were from Cray Supercomputing, the Mayo Clinic, and I think uh, Carnegie Mellon CERT. And I thought their talk was, a, was kind of interesting, mainly because at the end, the guy from the Mayo Clinic came on, and he was talking about how um, they work with Cray, and they have, uh, I think, at least one Cray supercomputer they use for medical analytics on you know medical data, protein data, and they have uh, somehow gotten approval to start using one of their supercomputers for doing cybersecurity research at the Mayo Clinic. So uh, this famous medical research institution is going to be using a lot of computing horsepower to push through some what sounds like really interesting uh, cybersecurity analytics using data that's in this open cog uh, format. So I thought that was kind of cool too. That's really cool. Wow. Um, 
So, but I mean, it, it, I mean, there's so there's so many cool things about that. So, oh, well, first off, I wanted to ask. This is a uh, more of an academic type conference. So, is there going to be proceedings from this and papers published? There may be some papers uh, with this conference. They mainly, from what I remember, they allow you to publish a white paper. I think if you want, but it's not required. But you do need. They will. They will be publishing the slides after. Okay. Uh, but it, it is more of an academic style conference. Most of the talks I'd say are on theoretical type work or um, like very academic style work. There were a few talks that were kind of interesting as well that were more uh, like practical, hands-on, like real world. You know, we built this thing, we ran it, and here are some results. Uh, one of them that I thought was cool was a talk on uh, Elasticsearch, Logstash, and Kibana. And not necessarily just because they use those technologies, but they, um, they put basically every single type of meaningful event log data from, I think, one of their like smaller development networks. Um, into Kibana and, or sorry, into Elasticsearch, and they were using it for doing really like automated analytics and alerting. So looking for for like specific types of patterns where um, the examples they had were like building profiles per user on when they normally log in, so kind of like a time series type analysis, and then encoding that as Elasticsearch queries, and then building alerts off that. And they had a whole bunch of examples that were very similar. I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, the other one that was more practical, and they actually released a tool, is uh, SSH compromise detection using IPFIX data. So they're using only NetFlow data, looking for um, SSH brute force, uh, successful SSH brute force logins. And uh, the approach was really simple. They broke SSH brute force down into three phases. One's scanning, one's the actual brooding of the passwords, and then one is the successful login. And just based on NetFlow data alone, they're able to, with like a 97% um, accuracy, they're able to detect when this happens successfully. And they released a tool that's that's pretty cool. It has a, a UI and has a bunch of other kind of like alerting tools around it that's all centered around this one thing. Um, open source, it's free. It's called SSH Cure. And I believe it's been around for a couple of years. They just moved it to GitHub and they just released a new version and, and pushed a lot of new features. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I was actually checking that out. I think over the weekend or it might have been on Monday in the GitHub repo, and it's amazing how straightforward. I mean, for folks who are listening and if they want if they want to go check out something that doesn't require a supercomputer, this is actually pretty straightforward to grok, and it's really readable code, and it, it works really well. It just it runs. It's it's actually pretty amazing. Yeah, and just to tack on to that, I mean, the you mentioned that it doesn't require a supercomputer. I think that even the work, you know, like you talked about uh, at Mayo on the Cray that they have, um, like that. That will help the broader industry, you know, especially if they're out there talking about it and they're talking about what they're doing, you know, because I mean the the computers are only going to get faster, uh, you know, the, the, we're going to figure out better ways to parse the data, you know, all of that is extremely useful, and I love and I love that there's this conference out there talking about this type of work. I completely agree. And so that was a three-day conference. Uh, yes, it was three days. Okay. Wow. Plus, there's one day of training, so I guess it was four days. Okay. Um, and I actually ended up taking the Bro IDS course by Liam Randall. Uh, if you have a chance to take that, I'd highly recommend it. Uh, I've been using Bro for a long time, but um, he presented some stuff I had no knowledge of that's really helpful, uh, mainly about some of the debugging features for when you're writing scripts that were just... I really wish I'd known about them about a year ago, but uh, it, was, it was a good class. Wow, that's great. So was that a full-day class? It was a half day. Okay. 
Wow, the Grow IDS. Who who was teaching that? Uh, Liam Randall from Critical Stack. Okay. Wow, fantastic. So I mean, that's for an academic conference like three three and a half days because of the half day training. That that seems like a, a long time. Like, was your brain completely fried at the end? <laughs> it was pretty much mush when I left. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually took the red eye flight home on Thursday night, so Friday was rough. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of rough, let's talk about mustaches. <laughs> uh, Bob, do you have anything else to talk about Flocon? Um, only that the proceedings aren't up yet, but they do do a good job of actually getting the poster sessions up and the whatever else people do want to put up after that, after the fact, just like Jason was saying. So yeah, we'll you'll see tweets from us when when they're actually live. I'll probably have a bot check on that every day for a while. Um, and you know, hit it yourself if you want to do that. It, it, there's definitely some cool stuff to take a look at that from past ones too. So if you're not, if for folks who aren't familiar with Flowcon, you can kind of get a nice little history of it just by going to the site and looking up their stuff. I'll throw links up on the podcast as usual. Yeah. But there's a lot, there's a lot of good stuff to kind of dive into there even before looking at this year's stuff. And and uh, you know, we've had a question in the past about like is is most of the uh, security data science focused around uh, NetFlow and packet capture and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I mean, definitely this conference is, you know, and there's a, a enormous quantity of work going into that type of analysis. And I think it's, again, it's just so cool to have a conference dedicated to that and at that level of quality with that type of speakers, very heavily focused on how we're doing this, what we're doing kind of thing. So it just sounds fantastic. And next year it's in Florida, right? Daytona Beach. Okay, Daytona Beach in Florida, and it'll be in January again. Uh, yes, it is. It's always in yeah. January. Okay, great. So, any listeners out there uh, interested in and experiencing the uh, what Jason just went through and having your own brain turn to mush uh, from the amount of knowledge being dumped into it, and doing a DDSEC field report, right afterwards, <laughs> a con report on the podcast. Um, so an, another recent event that occurred was ShmooCon, and uh, Mike, you were able to to make it there this year. Yeah, it was it was super excited. This was my second year attending and my second year in a row to go. Wow, fantastic! You got tickets. Yeah, um, last year I cheated and gave a presentation, so that I found I think was the the second easiest way to get a ticket. This year, one of my friends was presenting, and uh, they have a chance for a guest ticket, so I gave him no choice that I was taking his guest ticket. <laughs> so that's the uh, that's another easy way to get it. And yeah. and actually, that's that that that's a good thing uh, to hear because we actually we hit so we've had one question for the podcast. I did tweet out that we were doing this, um, and the question was, uh, you know, how can a poor newbie ever score schmoo ticks? Um, algorithmic. He suggested algorithmic buying. Yeah, might actually do that, or high or or high frequency ticketing, or something like that. So you know, I've heard that if you submit a talk and it doesn't get accepted, but they liked your submission, that they'll offer you free tickets. Oh, so I, I have heard. That's, that I have might heard be another similar thing. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So, Mike, what was your overall feel on the the level of of data science within the talks this year? It was it was pretty awesome. Uh, from what I remember, last year they had it was there was like two or three data science related talks. Um, mine and, and Brian Wiley's being one of them. And this year I would have bucketed six talks as as data science and data analysis related. So I mean to me that's 
phenomenal. You get six talks out of, you know, basically two full days. So half day Friday, full day Saturday, half day Sunday. Um, so there was, there was definitely something there. And, and they kind of ran the gamut, right? They had everything from high level. These are the use cases we're, we're looking at and trying to solve all the way down through people talking about really cool solutions for problems to people talking about scrubbing data to people, you know, saying here's something that I tinkered with and, and here are results and data so you can go reproduce this on your own. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the things that I really liked about Shmoo is that they streamed every talk, which was amazing. I mean, just from a logistics perspective, there, they, there was a lot of effort put into that. I could tell, you know, just, because it was over the weekend, and I got to sit around on the weekend and, and watch these talks. You know, and it was it was fantastic. So, a huge shout out to to the organizers for doing that. Just a fantastic job technically. And uh, any you know any talk I was watching, there were hundreds of people watching the stream. You know, and and to to put on a conference like that, I mean, they're obviously not you know it's not a for profit thing. So to get more people to, to experience that and get the information out of it, that, that's just fantastic. It's just an incredible job by the organizers. They, they really do an amazing job logistically as far as getting everything streamed and organized and things being on time and people knowing what's going on. It, it never ceases to amaze me. All right, so do you have a few favorite talks that you could call out and talk about specifically? Yeah, most, most definitely. I think... One of the ones that I, I took the most away, only because I have super, super limited knowledge of natural language processing, and I'm trying to find the uh, the exact title so I do them justice. Here it is. Manually searching advisories and blogs for threat data. Who's got time for that? Yeah, I missed that one. Uh, I So... It was it was awesome. You know, they said we focused on a few document types, and here we have some some NLP models that will go through and pull out things like IOCs and contextual information, so things to look for behavior-wise and remediation steps. And they're like, oh yeah, and then we slapped this really awesome GUI on top of it, and they did a little demo, and they said, yeah, we're not releasing the code. So I I instantly got so <laughs> sad at the end. Oh, that is sad. But despite that, it was cool to see people talking about using NLP in a security context. I hadn't really seen a whole lot of it, um, you know, kind of in, in the public arena. One of the guys I was with who was at Sandia, he was saying, oh, yeah, we, we're, we're doing some of that. I'm like, well, you're not talking about it, so it's cool right. if you guys are. And we've, we've experimented with a little bit, too. You know, we, we've, we run the uh, VCDB project, the Varus Community Database, where we try to find uh, publicly announced breaches and then record those in the various format and that's all out on github all the all the data is out there too and we've tried to experiment um, in you know like five minutes or less experiment um, putting in a URL and trying to parse articles for content you know there's and there's so many things out there you know lost a laptop I mean that that doesn't take a whole lot of effort to try and figure out what you know what is in there but just there's just so many, there, there's a lot of complexity once you get into NL, NLP, the natural language processing, that um, it's a, it's sometimes an uphill struggle to, to implement that correctly. Yeah, they, uh, I think they said they used OpenNLP as their, their tech stack. Okay, I'm not even familiar with that. Bob, yeah. do you know that one? Yeah, actually, that, that, that that's not a bad one at all. Um, I was actually, like, since I didn't see that with talk, I'm just wondering how many balls got thrown at them when they said they weren't going to release the, the source. 
Surprisingly none, and oh. I had left mine in my hotel room, so I couldn't even throw mine. I think there was another talk that you should have thrown yours, but that... Uh... I threw a virtual one at that talk. <laughs> I, I threw a virtual one, thank you. Oh, it was going to be nice. Yeah, we don't have to talk about it. There's, we're not, we're not, we, we, are, we are not talking about that one, no. There's always a range in, in quality of speakers, and, and uh, you know, great that everybody gets out there and tries, right? Totally agree. So uh, what's another talk that you enjoyed? So the other one was talking about how to kind of find and, and more importantly, get a high confidence in, in white data. So it was white is the new black, why white data really matters. And I, I thought that was really good. Um, it was a methodology developed at Checkpoint about how they go through and they scrub and they look for really, really white or really, really clean and known good data so that way they can compare it against the malicious for a lot of the models that they're building. And, and I know myself, and I was actually having this conversation with somebody else today, huge struggle, right? Huge, yeah. It, yeah. it was brought up, um, and, and I know I've been guilty of this in the past, when you don't, you know, doing executable analysis, you're like, well, I need a really good, you know, known non-malicious corpus, so I'm just going to install Windows and grab everything out of the System32 directory. Well, right, that that's great, it's all non-malicious, but what you're really doing is building a classifier that can detect Microsoft binaries. Right, yeah. And same thing with that, you know, that was the one thing that I had a question about that talk. First, I caught that talk, and I loved it. I mean, it was so, so incredibly pragmatic. I mean, it was hey, we're trying this, and we're having all these struggles, and here's a struggle, here's what we did to get over it. Um, and I just, I loved it for that, because it was so real. You know, it wasn't like, hey, here's something that I thought up, and I just, you know, I'm talking about it because I thought about it. It's like, hey, we've been trying this, we've been doing it, and we're struggling. And one, like you said, one of the huge problems is, how do we get good, clean, labeled data? But my, the one challenge that I have is that she, she when she was talking, she was spending a whole lot of time getting really, really pristine, as she called it, white data, right? In other words, sites that are, are benign, they're, they're good, they're not serving up malware, they're not doing anything bad, and then using that and labeling these really pristine white sites as white. Um, and I don't, I don't know if I quite agree with that because the Internet is just absolutely not that way, right? You're going to have machines that are benign that show up in virus total that show up on places you know um, and if you're if you're doing this you're generating all these features automatically you can't sit there and say you know um, this one this one is good even though it's in virus total you know that's what the training data is for that's why you need you need to have reality reflected in your training data and so that's one thing that I, I, I kind of took issue with but it was just absolutely cool to see the steps that they went through. You know, like she talked about the Alexa, the top, you know, oh, yeah. 1,000, 100,000, whatever it is, Alexa. One of the things, and I think actually, Mike, you guys did this at Click uh, for the DGA stuff. You took things out of out of Alexa, right? Yep. Which is which is actually a, a good first step, right? I mean, they're supposed to be good. They're popular, right? They're, if they're really popular, they're probably not going to be serving maliciousness. Um, but to her point, like there was something in the in the top thousand or something that was serving malware for like the last eight years or something. You know, it was, I can't remember exactly what she said. Yeah. She had a great example of why you just don't want to accept things like that blindly. And it was it was really interesting. I hadn't quite thought through Alexa in that level of detail. It, no, it, it made complete sense, especially given the use case she was looking at, right? Where she was looking at detecting malware, 
Whereas, and I think it was even mentioned in the, the Dambala talk from this year, the practical network security, um, using Alexa for something like DGA detection might be okay. It might be white in that context because you wouldn't expect, you know, DGA domains to pop up in, in Alexa, right? So they may, they may be serving malware, but for the use case you're examining, right, that being a DGA yes. detection, right, it's probably not. So in that right. context, it's probably okay. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a really good point. Yeah, because she was looking specifically, if I remember right, at full URL strings. Yes. And right. and more so she, I think if I remember correctly, in the beginning of the talk, she even said, well, there's all that kind of grayware, right, adware and whatnot. So we just kind of ignored that and we looked for, you know, pure malicious and, and pure clean. Right. Yeah, so that was a great talk. And I think all these talks are going to be online, right, if they aren't already. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, I think people really do need to watch that one. Um, I, I, I think the way I would describe it, and I think you said it, or like you didn't say it this way, but you, you've said a similar thing, Jay, which is it, it shows that this isn't magic that, that happens with data science, right? It's actually real work. It's actually thinking of things in different ways. It's hitting roadblocks and getting around roadblocks. And just because folks may see very pristine presentations, not, not at a talk, but like a paper or a blog post or whatever of stuff that works really well and looks really cool, they don't get to see all the, the blood, sweat, and tears that went behind that and all the errors and all, like, you know, there's a reason why we don't have hair, right, because that's what happens is pull it out. I mean, so people don't get to see that. And that, that talk, I thought, did a great job underscoring just how much effort and work is involved in doing this. It's not luck. It's, it's, not, it's not automatic. It actually is doing real work all the time to try to make this stuff, to try to make this stuff go. So I, I thought that was great. Yeah. Totally agree. And then also, yeah, so I think they said they're going to, all the presentations will be on archive.org, but I know they have links through their sites. And then you mentioned about conference proceedings, and last year the presenters, they were asked if they would submit kind of a, a thousand-word essay for conference proceedings. So they said that they're going to do last year's and this year's together and kind of a single proceedings that they hope to get released by the end of February, but they were pretty... Um, they were pretty noncommittal about that date. Yeah. So did you write something up for your talk last year? I did. Okay. Good. And then, so there, there should be some, hopefully everybody this year contributed so we can get some, some good proceedings. So there was something that happened at Smooth that um, it was very, very subtle, but I took it as a very, very good sign. And someone was talking, I can't remember what talk it was, I, it might have been one around um, data science type topic, but um, they were talking and they mentioned training and test data and they kept talking. They didn't stop and say, here's what's training and test, you know, didn't explain it, just made the assumption that the audience understood what they said. Now, chances are good, probably many people didn't understand that what, that, what they were talking about, but it was just so cool that in the security space now, someone started talking about, you know, their, their training data and just kept going like everybody knew what they were talking about. I mean, that's just, it was very subtle, and I picked up on it and just kind of hit me like, wow, we might actually be moving into, you know, doing things with data and doing things well with data. That's that's pretty awesome. I, I totally missed that. Um, it, it, it doesn't surprise me. So even given after all the talks, there was quite a bit of audience engagement and question asking and which was cool, right? Because it showed a lot of the audience members were really A, digging the subject and the topic, but B, knew enough to ask really, really good questions. You know, everything ranging from, oh, did you try 
Um, you know, uh, anything else other than random forest, right? Did you look at SVM and that kind of stuff? All the way to super simple but very pointed questions of, yeah, but how is it used operationally, right? So trying to understand what the impact of somebody's research would be. Yep, that is that's fantastic. I'm that, I'm really excited. That kind of reminds me of a quote that I heard. I I googled the quote and I can't find who said it, so I can't remember if this was in a meeting, but um. Someone said a quote about a year or two ago saying, in five years there will be more security data scientists than there are malware analysts, which I thought was kind of an interesting projection. But it does seem to be moving possibly in that direction. Um, the security data science seems a lot more effective than you know, manually tearing through malware and like um, spending a ton of time on one like binary. I mean, th there are instances where you want to do that, of course, but... Uh, just kind of what you guys are talking about just reminded me of that quote, and I wish you could find That's who said it to, to attribute it to them, but I can't so, find it on Google. A question though, like, do you think that you could be? This is kind of a, a tricky question, but do you think that someone is going to be able to be working on malware analysis and not at least understand the language of data science or understand some basic data analytic skills? You know. In my opinion, uh, I don't think so. I think work, even working with, like working with malware and doing reverse engineering, at some point you need to rip out data and use scripts to kind of mine the data, even if that's simplistic searching through it. But uh, in my opinion, no. I feel like the more capable ones are the ones who can apply higher levels of data science if it's, if it's more advanced scripting or if it's actually using machine learning. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, that's just my opinion. Well, like yeah, I was, well, yeah, go ahead, Jay. Go ahead. Uh, I, was, uh, I was working with some, a data set today that had like 3.2 million, uh, you know, instances of malware. Like, you, you can't work at that volume and not at least have some chops with data. I mean, working with, you know, column-based column data and, you know, parsing CSVs, I mean, you just you can't work at that level and not have some chops with data. Right. Now, not, not all malware analysts have to look at the big picture, but um, I just think it'll be harder and harder as the years go on to, to be working around that stuff and not have some chops. Yeah, I mean, I, I what I was going to say, and I can just I can dovetail off of that. So before this security data science thing was a thing, there were a lot of really interesting visualizations coming out of the malware analyst space more, more than in the normal security space. Like, well, so while security people were making pie charts and line graphs, you know, they, the, uh, the malware people were making really awesome heat maps and, and finding different ways to, to, to visualize the binary space within, within, within malware and stuff. It, it, they've just been doing very creative things with, with the data that they have already and they already are extremely curious people and they're already really capable people because they all they they're doing you know weird low-level binary stuff and they're working with assembly and they do their mind just clicks in a very really cool way and I I think they're going to really like warm up to this a lot faster than any of us are expecting and will be extreme contributors in this space over the next three to five years I think it's gonna be pretty cool yeah and and to add on to that I mean not just malware analysis, but I think many parts of, of information security is going to be touched by this. And the really great thing is that there are so many smart people. I mean, most everybody, at least, you know, a few years ago, were completely self-taught, you know, in security. 
and there's there's a that that hacker mentality that you know I'm gonna I don't know what this is I'm gonna go out and learn right and so I think I think it might be a little easier for this industry to be moving towards adopting data science than other industries you know some of the social sciences things like that so anything else uh, Mike did you want to talk about anything else with Shmoo yeah one of the and Jason brought this up too and I'll kind of give a little brief shout out to my buddy Dorsey who did one of kind of I don't know maybe one of the more pragmatic talks on you know here's I'm going to create a classifier for looking at Java class and Shockwave Flash. And then not only that, you know, kind of in, in traditional fashion with him is he released the code and then released all the hashes that he used so people can kind of play with it and use it as a way to, you know, dip their toes in the water of kind of this, this data analysis and machine learning. So I, I've got a real soft spot for that kind of stuff when, you know, people are willing to go, here's, here's something cool that I did, and now here's everything that you need to go redo it yourself and, and make it better, right? And improve on what I did so you don't have to make the same mistakes or you can make the same mistakes and point them out because I didn't see them or, right, begin to build on, on different things. Yep. I did not catch that talk. And that was that was one of the early ones during the conference, right? That was like the first one or something in the first Yeah, time. it was the, the opening slot on Saturday morning. Yeah. So I, I felt slightly compelled to be there since he gave me his ticket. <laughs> 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 that was good of you. That was I, very nice. I'm a true friend. Right, right. And that that did look, did look super interesting. And and the fact that yeah, it's all out on GitHub and stuff. That's just, I mean, that's how we're gonna get better, right? Talking and sharing, doing podcasts, right? Stuff like yep. that. Hey, um, slight change of topics. Hey, Bob, completely. You're completely unprepared for this, but well, wait. Before before you do that, can can you bookmark that one for a second? Because like I just want to keep the con theme going for one, one more second. Sure. Sorry, you go. Um, so while we didn't go to this con because uh, I think we all didn't even know what was going on, um, there both David Saversky, David Saversky, well, he's going to kill me, um, and then Gabe from our team, uh, uh, GD Bassett on Twitter, they both sent me this link to like they both posted this link today um, to the uh, the MC2 workshop on data driven approaches to security and privacy. And I didn't even know it existed before those links came out today, and I'm kind of upset with myself for that. Um, but what I, what, what I, and, so, and there's no proceedings from that conference available, and I don't think they actually put proceedings up from it. So don't go look, so don't go looking for them. If, and if they do, if they do do that, I'll make sure we have links to it everywhere. But I, um, I went and went to Google Scholar after I saw that and saw, saw the list of people that were actually presenting at it. And just start, I just start exploring each of the different person's um, researchers' Google Scholar profile, and I got like really excited about security data science. Like it's not that I was not excited before, or maybe I was losing it a little bit over the past year, but the fact that there is so much interesting research going on in academia, and I know some people like downplay the 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 value of academic research, and and I, I think that's a folly. I think you can find some good nuggets there, and that it yeah. actually makes a lot of really good stuff happen in the real world too. But there's a lot of people, like way more people than even the stuff on Jason's art, like a um, like great compilation. And we weren't trying to steal your thunder at all with this post, Jason. I just got, I got, I got excited and I had to post it. Um, there's so many people doing so much cool stuff with security data and security topics and things that really matter that, I mean, we've never heard of. And it's, a, it's this whole burgeoning space. There's actually, I was even more impressed because I love the fact that there's like two people that are in bio 
who are also doing stuff in security. And if for folks that don't study the biospace at all, like, there's a lot of overlap in some of the, the ways you do analysis with that. And they've got some awesome tools and they built some awesome collaboration. And if they're going to start applying that to security stuff, gosh, this is just going to get super exciting and better over the years. Like this is just critical. So we have a link up to some of those cool papers just from last year from some of those folks that were at that conference. Um, and I'm going to keep kind of tabs on them in Google Scholar to see what they're, they're I put some alerts up to see, you know, from various ones of them as they put new stuff out, we'll, we'll keep doing that. I'll make sure Jason gets them if he wants to put them up in his archive um, and, and do that. Cause it's just neat seeing people doing really cool stuff with it, with everything. I, I'm still hung up on the fact that something happened on the internet and you didn't catch it. I, I did say I was upset with myself for that. Yeah, I just you said a whole bunch of stuff after that. I tuned out because I was just focused on the fact <laughs> that something happened. You missed it. I'm really shocked. I you're letting me down, Bob. So, but uh, I didn't even notice that you did a post on this. I apologize. <laughs> so, so, someone's got a post blog post <laughs> this year, Jay. So someone's got to. Oh boy. I, I feel bad now. I'm I'm just saying someone and actually I I was actually gonna ask you know you know these guys to to maybe I, I know they've got their own blogs and I know Sushi's double timing us over on on Alex's blog but I you know if they want to actually do guest posts on ours they're more than welcome to do that since I can't seem to get my 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 co-logger to maybe do a post. <laughs> that's that's enough motivation I need in 2015 is just to show Jay up so I will totally commit to doing something. <laughs> oh beautiful and and it can. Yeah. And 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 Mike, I will allow Python code on the site. So you're totally. <laughs> <laughs> you're you get a little crazy. worried there because I, I seem amongst you guys. I'm definitely in the minority with with Python. Well, on this podcast, we we're we're about even because I'm also a Python guy. So. Yes. So I so I challenge both of you to give us two Python posts this year. I won't even make it do one more than one, but each each one of you give us a Python okay. post this year. Perfect. Is there right. a so along along the the line of blog posts, Bob, where I was going is oh. I wanted to ask you what you've been doing lately, because for those for those who don't know, Bob is uh, I don't know how to describe it, a workhorse uh, insomniac maybe, but something like you just you produce so much stuff. Um, can you pick you know like a, a handful of the things that you've done over the past month since our last podcast, or even even before then too? I know the holidays were in there. Um, like in security stuff, or just in general? In general, because it's you're you're so busy, you know. Yeah. Like, um, you did that the the JavaScript wrapper and. Yeah, so I, I guess the one thing that we haven't had a chance to talk about on the podcast yet, um, and I'm I'm not sure how many people have even seen it. We we don't exactly have that many readers, Shane. Is uh, <laughs> is uh, is the the Hilbert curve stuff? Um, for folks that aren't familiar with Hilbert curve um, curves. It's a it's a way better way of actually showing IP addresses in a visual way. I, I think Jay and I are going to talk about it more with some other folks when we talk about mapping I, IP addresses later on this year. So yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna kill it kill it too much by talking about it. But I, I really wanted to get an R package that I started out making last year to, to just to give it some sunlight and to maybe cause me to have to work on it a little bit more because I, I think it's a really neat way to take a look at stuff and explore explore the IP space. So if people remember, there was uh, a few months ago, maybe six months ago, where someone I think that they hacked into a ton of routers and they they pinged the entire internet. Do you guys remember that? Uh, I think so. Were you talking about the? It was that it was that internet it. survey. It was like an internet survey thing that somebody did. Like they. 2012, like, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't last year. It was just a couple years ago. Yeah. It was a couple. All right, that's that's my memory for you. Yeah. So in there, they had a a, a rather 
great visualization leveraging the Hilbert curve to show what responded on the internet, what was active on the internet, right? So I don't know if people were familiar with that one. That might ring a bell for what Bob's talking about for the Hilbert curve. Yeah, and I, I'm just surprised that it's not used more. I, I honestly, because it, it's yeah. it, the, this whole thing has been around for quite a while, and it's been off and on. It's actually been it was at FlowCon the one year. Um, it's it's just a great way to do that. There's actually command line tools that let you do stuff with this. Um, and there's you know even there's Python integrations, Perl integrations, whatever. So like there, there's and now there's R. So you you can do lots of interesting things with it. I just don't know why more people don't explore it in this particular way because I think it's a great way to do that. So. Right. Well, it, it, there is a learning curve to look at a Hilbert curve and actually start to understand it. I mean, if you look at a, a world map, pretty much everybody knows what they're looking at. But a Hilbert curve it takes a little practice. So I are see. we going to see you produce a threat map on a Hilbert curve coming soon? That that awesome. that, that that actually might might happen, and I, and we may actually have a an animated one floating around from last year internally with some indicators of compromise that we did too that I just that we that we didn't release because it's internal data, but right. um, so we we may actually have that and with with yeah. sound effects. Actually, yeah. Oh, that's right. I forgot about the sound effects. Um, and but but for this one. The one thing I wanted to do with the R package, and I'm not going to dwell on it much longer, just is it's great having a static thing with with ggplot like way yeah raw. But um, I, I threw a little JavaScript around this one to make it a little more dynamic, and I kind of wanted to do a lot more with that, so it's way more interactive. Because the with this, you know, the reality is, is you've got like 4096 by 4096 points. Uh, you cannot see that unless you've got like one really awesome monitor. Most people don't uh, have that kind of a monitor. Um, and you know, being able to do explorations in other ways with it to, is is kind of neat to be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, the the other one that we had to not take up all the time here. Uh, I've been I've been playing a lot with the JavaScript integration with R, just because I think it's hard for people to make JavaScript stuff in general. It takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of the viz I, I did for the VCDB. If you go to VCDB.org, there's a whole thing of viz there, and a lot of those are handcrafted. I mean, using D3 and some libraries, but it's still handcraft, handcrafted JavaScript. A lot of people don't have the time for that, don't want to deal with it, but they still want to be able to do interesting things. Um, and a couple of really great folks um, on the internet, and I, most of the people that listen to this won't, won't know who they, who they are, so I'll just give you the website later. Uh, yeah, they made this thing called HTML wid widgets for R, which makes it really super simple to wrap a lot of in a lot of cool libraries. Almost almost any JavaScript library, some some that are too gnarly can't do it, but um, almost anyone out there uh, you can you can wrap with this and. One library that I really took to last year, and I'm not sure if folks are familiar with it either, but it's uh, called Metrics Graphics. It's from the, uh, the Mozilla folks, and they did it for their dashboards. I mean, it was really something they built for internal stuff that they managed to release open source, and it, everyone really gravitated. You don't see a lot everywhere, but people really gravitated towards it because it's really straightforward to use, really crisp, clean graphics, um, very minimalistic, so it's not like it doesn't try to be overbearing like a lot of other libraries are. And yeah, I basically threw together a you know, I think within within five days, I went from 0 0.1 to 0 0.5, and you know, have have most of the functionality implemented with some new stuff coming too. Uh, it's just it's just a lot of fun to do that to make it easy to type in just like three lines in R and have you know 20 graphs show up in an RMB file that you can interactively play with. It's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, that is fun stuff. So that's like uh, a tenth of the stuff you've done in like the last 30 days. So I don't know if we want to cover anything more, but um, did I'm, you want I'm, to talk about anything else? Or? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of good, yeah. Okay, great. Great. Well, I think we could probably wrap up here. The only other thing that I want to mention, Bob, is that you and I uh, are speaking at RSA twice, right, on Tuesday and Thursday. 
That's correct. We we actually doing so for folks that want to have to suffer through the same thing twice, you can come twice, or you can have your friends come to the next one and throw stuff at us. That if you couldn't throw stuff at us for the first one, yeah. All right. So just to let people know, if you're listening to the podcast and want to see us live and in person, Bob looks just the same in person as he does on the podcast. So I don't know. I'm I'm thinking of I'm thinking of doing that whole sushi look going on now. I I might actually shave off the goatee and let the muscles. You know, I've grow. been thinking the same thing. Yeah. I like where this is going. <laughs> Bob, should we have just a throwdown match on who can get the biggest rug dripping off our chin? I've 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 got a head start on you though, Jay. So I don't know. Yeah, you do. All right. Well, we'll we'll see how that and, how that turns out. And actually, and I'm speaking um, separately with another DDSEC yep. participant, um, Stephen Boyer from Bitsite. Um, we're, we're 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 talking data science as well there too. And and I believe, and I, as we mentioned earlier, there's a whole bunch of people speaking there. But like I think David Severski, Michael Reitman, and Kimberly Price are doing a joint talk um, from some of the research work that they've actually very practical research work they've been doing yeah. in the vulnerability space. And that's really, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Andrew Hay and Tebow. Oh, that's right. Talking. Yeah, they are too. Yeah. So we're we're gonna have an entire post up. This is just a a, a self-aggrandizing post about all the stuff that's going on with DDSEC participants at RSA. Probably a little custom schedule thing that we'll have up there, um, just so folks can make sure that it. We are literally data-driven security is taking over RSA. <laughs> that's awesome. All right. all right, and it'll only get better, right? I I make no guarantees. Yeah, okay. We could we could do far worse next year, I guess. That's a good point. All right. Well, Jason, Mike, guys, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. It has been a fantastic discussion. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. It's awesome. Thanks again, guys. Yeah. All right, and Bob, I will talk to you later. Later, guys. See you guys. <laughs>